Turn to John chapter, <coughs> excuse me, John chapter 21. We're going to finish up John this month. We're very excited about that. And let me pray that the Lord would open our hearts and our minds to what He has for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the saints that have marched before us. We thank You for those that are in this room. We thank You that the constant in their life is You. And so speak to us. Go beyond what we can hear. Go beyond what I can say. Use Your Holy Spirit to help us focus and understand with our hearts and with our minds what You have for us today. I believe that Your Word will speak to us, to each person in the room, if we just do so in paying attention through the power of Your Spirit. Thank You, Father. Go before us. Amen. What you heard this morning as the title of the message is, It's the Lord. You heard Dr. Cook's expression as a young child. He heard what his mom was doing when this happened. Have you ever wondered? I wonder if I'll be trapped in the jungle and all of a sudden two bull elephants will be crashing and thrashing around me. We don't really live in that world. It might be like a uh, uh, Cadillac Escapade and a Ford Expedition on 680. That would be about the biggest experience we can relate to. And yet we have our own experiences, don't we? And so it may not be an elephant crashing and thrashing around you, but I guarantee you, you have your own things that challenge you. You heard Dr. Cook say it, that even when we're doing what's right, the enemy wants to give and expose and bring into our lives pressures that want to distract us and discourage us. What do we do in those times? Well, the disciples are in that moment. And what we want to look at now is the fact that what you're going to read today is a little different. Have you ever done a P.S. on a letter? That's kind of what we're seeing here out of the Scriptures today. This is an epilogue. John has finished where he was in the Scriptures. And as you look at the end of chapter 20, he has that famous quote where he says, And many more things have happened that Jesus did in His lifetime and His ministry, so numerous that we cannot list those things. That is the conclusion to a letter, right? That sounds like a conclusion. How many of you have ever noticed that that would have been the conclusion and all of a sudden John starts back up with the whole story again? That's because there was a little wrinkle in the story that was causing problems within the Christian community. That wrinkle is based out of verses 21 and 24 come, next, come the third week in May and you'll hear what that wrinkle is. But because of that wrinkle having to do with John himself, that many people, the church, the disciples, whomever, believed that Christ would return before John would die. Have you ever heard that? Until this one, re you know, this one will remain before I, I come back. And so Jesus clarifies, well, John is having to settle a controversy, and that's why he writes this epilogue. Now, interestingly enough, the part we're looking at today has nothing to do with that. So why would he write this? Because he's being a little self-effacing. This was written decades after the circumstances of which we're going to examine. This story had significance and impact and purpose. So let's pay attention carefully, shall we? Let's see what elephants are thundering around 
and what the answer is this morning. So our first point this morning is Jesus is observing from the shore. Do you see Him? Verses 1 through 4. Jesus is observing from the shore. Do you see Him? Verses 1 through 4. And let's go ahead and read those verses now. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. My kind of guy. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus is observing from the shore. Do you see Him? The disciples have finally moved from Jerusalem to Galilee. If you go back in the text, you'll see uh, in Matthew and Mark as well, Jesus gives them instructions even before the crucifixion that they are to go and they are to meet Him in Galilee. Those were specific instructions, but what happened? They were scared. They were disbanded. They were frightened. And on Easter Sunday, we heard how Jesus made an appearance to them, right? Doors locked. Hiding away. They're not where they're supposed to be. Jesus said, I will meet you in Galilee. And they need a little push. So Jesus comes to them. Jesus is observing the entire time. We know this because Thomas said what? prior to the Lord entering the room. Unless I see the marks on His hands, unless I see the mark in His side, I will not what? I will not believe. Jesus was observing the whole time. Did they see Him? When He showed Himself. And Thomas said what? My Lord. We're going to hear that echo right now. So the disciples finally obey Christ and they evacuate out of Jerusalem. They go up to the Galilee region and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. Have you been there? Have you been there? You believe that God is doing a work and you believe God's leading you in a direction and nothing's happening and you start to feel abandoned maybe. Have you been there? So what do they do? They go to plan B. They fall back. To what they know. They go back to fishing. You see, that was their profession. There are seven disciples gathered at this point, And Peter is still the ad hoc leader. Peter hasn't been restored yet. We're going to see that in the next section when we get to it. And even though Peter was known as denying his Lord three times, he still is this group's leader. <coughs> Excuse me. So just imagine the picture. Imagine the scene, if you will. They're sitting around. They don't know what to do. And Does that kill you? Does monotony and boredom and waiting just drive you nuts? Can you relate to these guys? So what's Peter say? Being a good man's man? I'm going fishing. You ever feel like that some days, folks? <laughs> going fishing. What he's saying, in fact, is not what we would think of, you know, hey, we're going to check out and we're just going to go relax. No, this was his livelihood. 
What he's saying, in fact, and what the other six disciples are saying, in fact, is maybe this was an illusion. Maybe this wasn't what we thought it was. Even though Jesus showed up, what do they start doing? Because they don't know how to wait. They go back to what they used to do. Let's see how that worked out for them. Well, we see who's in the boat. It's seven disciples. And as these guys are sitting out at night, and it was a night watch, they went fishing at night, and a lot of times that was what would yield the most results. They're sitting there and they're executing plan B, and it's not working very well at all. As a matter of fact, they've caught nothing. They've caught nothing. Now, there's a parallel story to this where Jesus met some of the disciples for the first time. It's in Luke 5, 1 through 11. And the amazing thing is, is it's exactly the same thing. Jesus is on the shore. They're out fishing. And He tells them, cast the nets. Like, ah, we're, you know, it's not working. Cast the nets. This is before they really knew Him. And as a matter of fact, the only thing that separates that story out of Luke 5 at the beginning of his relationship with them is now, when this miracle happens, the nets hold. Back in Luke 5, in that initial one, the nets were so full that they were breaking. We'll get to that in a moment. But they're not doing very well as fishermen. I can relate to this. There's, there's a couple... What? Really? There's a couple guys in the room that know of the... Of the lake I'm going to mention, I went for a, uh, a run up to the Mammoth region when I was down south, and I would fish with some good friends from my church down south. And I love fly fishing. I love fly fishing and float tubing on this one particular lake called Lake Crowley. And the guys that I would fish with, they didn't really do that. They spun fish. And so, you know, I learned just do as they do in Rome. And then as I'm heading home, I'm like, I'm stopping off at Crowley. I'm inflating my float tube, and I'm getting out there with my fly rod. And I get out there, and what had happened a previous time, just like what happened with the disciples, is I wasn't very good. I wasn't catching anything. And the worst thing you can do, the most humiliating thing you can do when you're out on that lake and you're not catching fish is to paddle up next to another float tuber and ask what, Carl? What are they hitting? What fly are you using? Which means you stink when it comes to fishing. But I acquiesced. I cracked under the pressure and I said, Hey, uh, you know, what, 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 what are you... What, 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 okay, I'm horrible. What are you using? And he actually gave me one of these flies. So being the smart, semi-intelligent guy that I am, I went to the local fly shop and I got this fly, like, ten of them. Now I'm out on Lake Crowley and I've got these flies. Nobody's catching anything. Boom! Fish on. Boom! Fish on. I ended up catching a four and a half pound trout. Out of ten of the fish I caught just in an hour, one of them was a four and a half pound trout on the fly rod. And what was happening around me is that the skies opened up. Those rays of sunlight started to shine just on my tube. My teeth shone a little wider. My eyes were gleaming a little harder. There was something about me, and I wasn't even wearing Old Spice. <laughs> the fish started just doing little, like, water dances around my tube, celebrating who I was. It was incredible, folks, I tell you. Then the worst of the worst, I found out they were having a tournament. 
I was fishing in the middle of a tournament, but I wasn't signed up. I would have won. But here's how I won. I got out of that area. It started to settle down. I got out of that area, and so I went to McGee Bay, which is about, it's about half a mile in another part of the lake, and I got out there. I'd never fished out there. And here's the thing that float tubers, serious float tubers do. They use radios out there. You don't even need the radios because when you're on the water, the, the voice carries, right? The voice carries out there, and so... Um, I can hear these radios going off, you caught anything? No. Got anything? No. Yeah. Just over and over and over. And I'm sitting out there, and I've got my headphones in, and it's beautiful blue skies, and I've already limited out. I, I, I don't even want to fish. I'm telling the guy, I'm hanging a sign, hey, guys, take a break, you know? And so I'm just sitting there, and boom, catch another fish, boom, catch another fish, boom. And so it's just getting ridiculous at this point. And then this glorious moment happens. Now, it wasn't Jesus standing on the shore telling me to cast my rod the other end. But it was close. You see, what happened in that moment is I heard across the, the water one of these guys say, Hey, you having any luck, Kai? No, not a thing. But there was a guy this morning over on Greenbanks that caught a four-and-a-half-pound trout. I wish I knew who that guy was. And I started crying. I just started crying. I reached into my creel and I got that fish and I was like, oh, you mean this? What? No, I started kissing the fish and painting his face on a point. No. Yeah, so I put him back in and, and then the most beautiful moment. What? Where did that come from? This story's gone way too long. But here's the punchline. Then the most beautiful moment happened. This is the moment that helped me remember why I fish. This guy paddles up next to me. And what does he say? What are you using? Oh, the angels started singing. It was my glorious moment. It was fantastic because for so long I was going with plan B and I was horrible at fishing. And one guy told me, no, 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 use this. And I just started slaying it. I just started slaying it. I can relate to these guys. Jesus is on the shore. He is observing your life. What does He see? Are you in the same state as these disciples? Have you gone back to a point in time where you've said, I can't wait anymore. God, where are you? You know, the disciples are about 100 yards offshore. It says that they didn't recognize Jesus. And that's probably why. There may have been a fog in the lake. Who knows? They just saw an image out there. And because of that, they didn't know it was Jesus. The question I have for you this morning is very simple under this first point. When we say Jesus is observing from the shore, do you see him? Maybe a deeper question is this. Have you distanced yourself from Jesus to the point where you don't recognize Him? The second point this morning as we move through the story is Jesus is calling from the shore. Do you hear Him? Jesus is calling from the shore. Do you hear Him? Verses 5-10. through 10. Let's look at what happens next in this narrative that John was compelled to write down. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered Him, What? No, so long I had to say that in my life. He said to them, 
cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they laughed at him and said, what are you nuts? Who do you think you are? Is that what your Bible says? Observe. It's a very pivotal point for these guys. Because most of the time until this point, every time Jesus gave them a command, they hit the dumb stick upside their head. And they would, they would argue with him. They would say, prove it. They wouldn't just simply obey. But what do they do here? And they don't even know it's him yet. So they cast it. And now they were able not to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus is calling. Do you hear Him? Jesus calls out to them and says, Do you have any fish? He knows they don't have any fish. Has Jesus ever done that to you? Never heard from the Word of God? Have you ever heard through somebody else? Have you ever heard through your prayers? Just this statement of the honest, honest truth. <laughs> to remind you, like Dr. Cook said, you don't have what it takes. Jesus knew they, they didn't have fish. Why ask the question? He's making a point that we all need to learn, and that is this. I cannot move forward and be successful with what God's called me to do on plan B. Do we get that? And if Jesus is calling, do we hear Him? So He says, do you have any fish? That's not by mistake that He says that. He wants you and us, and He wants the disciples to come to grips with our limitations so He can show you what He can do. He tells them to cast out on the other side of the boat. How humiliating is that? I mean, seriously, come on. These guys are professional fishermen. They've been fishing all night. Some joker shows up on the shore. They can't even see who he is. Hey, what? You know, it's just like it's some group of guys mocking. Why don't you cast it on the other side of the boat, you losers? Right? What do they do? They do it. You know, if this is your profession and some guy just walks up and yells from afar, hey, what? You ever been in that position? Somebody just tells you, hey, why don't you do it? You're like, you think I didn't think of that? Who, who do you think you This is humiliating. Right? Are you seeing it? This is humiliating. But what do they do? They still cast it. That means there's still hope. That means they're still searching. That means they're still seeking. They're not completely discouraged. They receive so much that the nets should actually break. This is counter to what happens in Luke 5 when he first meets them. And the, the nets do break. They now know who this is, not because they recognize Him by sight, 
but because of the miracle that happens. Have you ever had Jesus do a work in your life and then you hit this high, dry season and then He comes back and He reminds you of who He is because of the familiar, familiarity of what had happened in the past. He just does it again. This was no mistake, my friends. He was observing the entire time. And he waited for the perfect moment to replicate what would strike a trigger in their minds and realize this is, as John said, what? The Lord. This is the Lord. Peter, Nathaniel, Thomas, do you remember when we first met him? The same thing. This has to be the Lord. John exclaims it. Not because he recognizes Jesus, but because he sees the work of Jesus. Do you and I see that work of Jesus in our life when he's calling out? Does he remind you of what he does in your life and therefore you can recognize when Jesus is at work? Because that's how he does it. Subtly sometimes, overtly other times. John responds, it is the Lord. Peter responds by jumping overboard. Have you ever jumped overboard? Spiritually, have you ever, ever jumped overboard? You know, Peter's familiar with water in Jesus. Right? He has a habit for this. Last time he went overboard, it didn't work out so well. Do you think that was in his mind as he jumped overboard? Be in my mind. Now, which would you be? Would you be the one who's thinking, hey, I walked on water for a while. Let's see if this can happen again. There was a little bit of period of time because he's putting on his clothes, right? So when he's putting on his clothes, he's excited and he's going to go overboard. And he's, maybe he's thinking, I'll walk on water. We have no idea if he walked or if he like, had to swim or he just waited. That's not the point. I would probably be the one person who would think, I sank. And Jesus knew I sank. And I took my eyes off of Jesus. And that's why I sank. They hear Jesus call. And they respond. What about us? John proclaims it's the Lord. And he does so because he recognizes the hand and the work of Jesus Christ alive once again. Do you need that refresher? Because Jesus is observing right now. And He knows. Are you the person that's ready to jump overboard just like Peter? Are you ready to make that the length and the breadth of your effort? When Jesus calls out to you, it invokes a response of, if it is the Lord, or it is the Lord, do you jump overboard? You know, yesterday we took a big risk. A really big risk. It's been in a process for about a year now. When the board members and, and some of the directors from Options for Women came to me and asked about eight months ago, would you be interested in hosting Walk for Life here at Concord Bible Church? And I tried to play it cool. I tried to, well, you know, let's negotiate a little bit here. What do you, what's in it for? No, I didn't say that. Not only did I say yes without asking anybody's permission, but I said yes to serving on that board as well so that I could help what was going on because I heard God calling. I heard Jesus calling. 
And I recognize when Jesus called because it's matched when the other times that He's called. It's the same kind of experience. That God brought people to me to ask me to participate in something. And so I came to the congregation and I asked you on behalf of the Lord. And I'm standing on the shore and I'm saying, will you cast your nets? For me, that was a big risk. Can I just share with you that I think we had the single largest group of people from any church at the Walk for Life yesterday. I could not be more proud of this congregation and your support to do God's work and to take risks and to get out there and to serve and to make a difference. Way to go overboard. You bring incredible joy to your pastor, but even more so, you bring that much more joy to Christ. This church raised half the amount of a local church that has 1,300 people in it. Did you go overboard? I think so. Because you heard the call of Christ. He told you to cast your nets. You did an incredible thing yesterday. And the Lord is pleased with you. And the Lord will continue to use that effort over and over and over in the lives of people that are relevant to Him. Thank you for going overboard. Lastly, Jesus is providing from the shore. Do you remember Him? Verses 11 through 14. I'll say that one more time. Jesus is providing from the shore. Do you remember Him? Let's read verses 11 through 14 as we close out the sermon this morning. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled. Actually, let's go to verse 10. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Nowhere else in the Gospels do you have this precise level of accounting. This is an accountant's passage. For you accountant people out there, just write it down, okay? Ruth, put it on your wall. 153 large fish. Just barely beat me out on that day on Crowley. But here's the miracle. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. They remembered what he did when he met them. And the nets tore. They needed an extra boost. Jesus is doing what? Jesus is providing. He's providing. What's our response? It's to remember Him. They remembered what had happened in the past. Yet this was even greater. No need for plan B. He's saying, I'll supply you when you can't make it happen. And if I'm going to do that with your plan B, get on track with plan A, guys. Because I'm your strength here. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Have you ever been invited to breakfast with Jesus? Would that not be awesome? Jesus invites these guys to breakfast. As a matter of fact, He made it. Listen to this. Now none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Why did they know it was the Lord? Because of His actions. 
They recognize the work of the Lord. How will you and I know it's the Lord speaking to us? Because when He starts to work and He calls us, we know that He's observing. He can't call us unless He's observing. And when He reaches those inner recesses of our heart and where we're struggling, when we're having difficulty, maybe it's our marriage, and then you turn and you say, it's the Lord. Maybe it's our work and you're struggling. And you say, it's the Lord. Maybe it's our own spiritual life and you say, it's the Lord because He's working. How do you respond? How do you and I respond? Well, when we understand and we get over the hump and we realize Jesus is providing, that invokes the proper response. One of obedience. You see, at this point, they never turn back. They stop going with plan B. And they get in line with what Jesus asked them to do. They are now prepared. They are now motivated. They are now mobilized. Because it's the Lord. Jesus said to them, Come have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples and He was raised from the dead. That helps you understand, right, why John's writing this now as an epilogue. He gives this story and he, and he surmises it by saying, now this is the third time, folks, where He's appeared. I just gave you more help with that. Let's finish out with this concept and we'll close today. This is a picture of the Lord who establishes as needed. Think about the last meal that they had had with Him that we know of. What was it? We just observed it. Isn't that odd? He has this little encounter that we know of, maybe in the garden with a couple. Then he has this encounter in a room where they're locked away. That's all we know of. But the first solid interaction he has with them is around a meal again. And there's a familiarity to this meal. Fish and bread. Uh, that's all they ate back then, but... Again, fish and bread. And He's prepared it for them and says, I will provide for you. Let me do it. And when I do it, exclaim, it's the Lord. Exclaim, it's the Lord. Will you and I respond this morning because we know He provides for us? Will we recognize when He provides for us and say, it is the Lord? Will we cast our net on the other side even when it doesn't make sense? Who is the Lord? Ephesians 3.20 and 21 speaks to this. And as I close with that passage, I'll ask you and I'll remind you of one simple, one simple question. You may never be attacked by fighting elephants. But it might feel that way. When that happens, will you remember it's the Lord who provides the strength? Will you remember that it's the Lord who's observing? Will you remember that it's the Lord who is calling? Will you remember that it's the Lord who is providing? Listen to what Paul says he who walked before us and he who experienced all of this, this is his estimation of the power of our Lord God. 
He says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray this morning. In closing, I'm going to ask the men to prepare for the offering. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we don't always talk about elephants and things like that. Sometimes we bring monkeys in. Who knows? But if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. If you're looking for a church, um, the Lord be with you in that process. If you need some encouragement, you need some counseling, please take the cards that are in the back of the chairs in front of you, fill that out, drop it in the offering basket as it goes by. If you are visiting with us this morning, don't feel under any compulsion to participate in the offering. We do this as an act of worship, a free will offering, in response to saying, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Let me pray. You have granted to us, Lord God, all things that are good. Father, there are times that seem desperate. There are times that seem difficult. There are times where we want to go to plan B, just like the disciples. Help us to remember that You're always observing. Help us to remember that there will be that moment where You are calling. And for the challenge for all of us, will we recognize it when You call? Maybe that's where we need to wrestle this morning. But Lord, maybe it's an issue of as we see those things, as we see the fruit of what You do through Your power in us, we proclaim it is the Lord. And that that resides in our hearts, in our minds, in our convictions, that it is the Lord that is able to do, that it has prospered us, that has given to us, that has provided for us. And it always will be. And because of that, Father, we give back part of what You have provided to say thank You, to say we exalt You, to say that we recognize You in Your work. Lord, I praise You for all that You have been doing through this church this past week. Whether it's National Day of Prayer or Awana or Youth Group or Men's Study or Life Groups. Whether it was the Arabic study on Friday night, which it's the Lord that is doing great things there whether it was yesterday here at Walk for Life or whether it is this morning. It is the Lord. It is You. Let us rejoice in that. Take confidence in it and move forward in Your strength and Your power. And give praise to You when we see it. To Your glory, Father. Amen.